Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science of the stuff we're putting on our feet. I'm Andrea Myers, and with me today is Megan Flynn, and we've got a different topic for everyone today. We're going to be talking about cycling for runners, whether you're cycling for cross-training or whether you're cycling because you're injured. Uh, We've both had experiences with getting into cycling due to a running injury, and we wanted to share some of our knowledge and experience with all of you in case that's something you're ever interested or unfortunately forced to do. Um, So I thought that we would start out by just briefly sharing our experiences with cycling as a means of rehab from injury. So Megan, you recently went through an injury that kept you from running for a little bit, and you started riding. So Tell everyone a little bit more about that. Uh, so in the past, I've had um, like other injuries and have jumped on like the indoor trainer or anything. And as a runner, I hate treadmill. I hate stationary things. So I was like, oh, all right, I'll hop on the bike again. But uh, so this time around, I started getting this SI joint pain um, and couldn't really make it through a run without getting any sharp pain that would just kind of come on uh, pretty randomly. So I was like, okay, looks like I'm going to head back to the indoor trainer and spend some hours staring at a screen. But uh, then I started reading up a little bit more on cycling, ended up getting a bike and realizing that I absolutely loved it. And it's a lot of fun. It You can get out there, you travel a lot more distance than you can running. You explore a lot more. Um, and it was actually a pretty good uh, supplement or uh, replacement for running in the meantime. Oh, absolutely. One of the things I love about riding is, like you said, you can cover so much ground and just take yourself to a totally different place than you normally would go even on your long runs. <laughs> yeah, I even found myself doing loops on the um, doing new loops on the bike and testing them out for like future marathon workout loops. I was like, this could be a great marathon workout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some hills and flat. That's awesome. So um, what did you start out with in terms of your riding? Did you start out riding indoors or did you get a bike and ride outdoors? So this time around, I was actually about to, I had tried a running workout. It didn't go well. And I was about to head to the gym for an indoor trainer, like just to hop on the indoor trainer and get a workout in there. And my boyfriend decided, okay, let's just go to a local bike store and get you a bike because you're going to be miserable on the indoor trainer. So we actually went to a local bike store. Um, and bought a hybrid bike first, um, <clears throat> which is a mix between like, I guess you could say a road bike and just a casual bike. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm still definitely not an expert on bikes, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> so then a few, I did a few rides on there, ended up going out for like a two and a half hour ride and got really into it and asked around, I asked you a bunch of questions and ended up <laughs> realizing, okay, if I actually want to start like getting more into this, then I need to probably invest in some sort of a road bike, learn how to do the clips, clip in, clip out, which was an adventure. Um, But yeah, and then here we are. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. And now you're back to running, but do you still incorporate a little bit of cycling into your training routine? Yes, I have been. I've been using it instead of running doubles. I've been using it as a replacement for that um, because it was a very quick ramp up in terms of running. So I was like, if... it wouldn't be worth it to throw in any doubles, but it would be helpful to get the legs moving. Um, so I actually, we have an indoor trainer already. I just had to get a different um, through axle for it because the brakes are different. Right. I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been doing a lot of uh, like little rides on the indoor trainer while I'm ramping up for the marathon. Isn't it amazing how like a super easy 15 or 30 minute ride just makes your legs feel like new? It's great. And then I've been doing that foam rolling right after, stretching, 
a little bit of a very little bit of yoga here and there. Um, <laughs> and then some like just general like prehab exercises. And it's been a great supplement. That's with, awesome. With running. And you're getting ready for sim, right? Yes. It's, I can't yeah. believe I leave in two weeks from today, which that's crazy. Came so fast. <laughs> So um, one of the reasons that I suggested this topic for a podcast episode is my life was really shaped by switching over to cycling for a running injury um, back when I was in grad school. I've been a runner my whole life, as I've said before on this podcast, but after I did a marathon in college, I got an overuse injury, had some patellofemoral pain that just wouldn't go away with rest or... PT or anything I tried. So I started taking spin classes. And I was lucky enough that the person who taught the spin class was a cycling coach. And, you know, we got to know each other. And he said, you know, I really think that you would like road cycling, like doing this outside. And I was like, well, I don't think so. I'm going to get back to running eventually. Thanks, but no thanks, you know. And eventually I said, okay, you know, running just isn't working for me right now. So what's this about road riding? So I am so grateful to this coach, Donnie Miller and Bruce Grell, who owned the local bike shop where I'm from, Healthy Habits in Bettendorf, Iowa, because these guys taught me everything that I needed to know about riding. Because riding really is a hard sport to get into. It's not like running where like you buy a pair of shoes and you pretty much go. Um, So their kindness and willingness to share their expertise has really inspired me to help others get into the sport. So I really hope that today's episode um, is informative and helps people get the information they need if they want to add cycling to their routine. Um, Cycling quickly became a huge part of my life. Uh, Two years after I told Donnie, you know, okay, what's all this about? I was racing for a professional team um, and raced for several years and have since gotten back into running. But cycling is still a big part of my training routine. I ride at least once a week, mainly for recovery. But it is a great part of training, whether you're using it as rehab or just as an adjunct to your running. Um, So that leads us into today's subjective question. So for our listeners out there, What's your favorite way to cross-train? Do you cross-train? And if you do, what's your favorite way to do it? Is it cycling? Is it swimming? Is it hiking? Uh, Shoot us an email at, um, you can find that on the podcast link or in the comments on YouTube. So Megan, I wanted to get into what are the benefits of cycling for runners? I think we could say, oh, it's great for runners, but what is so good about it for runners? I'd say one of the best thing is that there's very, very little impact. It's so easy on the body. I want to say, like, I was actually just thinking as you were, as you were talking before, I didn't realize, like, as I was starting to like train on the cycle, like just solely biking, how many hours of work I was putting in. Cause my body felt like mm-hmm. I wasn't doing that much, like relative to how you feel when you're <clears throat> like in the middle of training for, um, like, a uh, I want to say road race, but that could apply to both. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, when you're in the middle of training for like a running race, but I was surprised how, um, how little it actually like felt like it took out of me, but it was still maintaining a lot of fitness. Um, right. but yeah, so number one, I'd say would be the low impact, um, that you get when you're riding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And like you were having SI joint pain running, which brought you to the bike. Did you feel that at all when you were on the bike? I did not, um, which yeah. which I was also a little bit surprised because like just given, like I was expecting with an SI joint pain, um, like maybe the bike wasn't going to be the best thing, like just because of the positioning, but I didn't feel it at all when I was riding. Yeah. And, you know, riding a hybrid or riding a road bike with a, you know, moderate position shouldn't bother an SI joint issue. If you were trying to ride in like a triathlon position or a very aerodynamic position where your hip range of motion might have been a little bit more at the extreme, then you might have felt it. But yeah, road bike riding or hybrid riding shouldn't stress the SI joint at all. And it's also great for so many different types of lower extremity injuries, back pain, because again, like you said, it's low impact. 
You're not getting that pounding on your joints. You're not getting those huge eccentric forces from your muscles like you do when you're running. It's really just pedaling. You're pushing down, and then if you're clipped in, you're unweighting the pedal as it comes back up. So you, whether you've got knee pain, ankle pain, foot pain, uh, muscle strain, joint pain, cycling is probably going to be more tolerable than running is for a lot of people. Um, as cross-training... Like we were talking about earlier, it's a really great tool either for recovery or like you said, you're using it in place of doubles, which is awesome because you're still getting that extra cardiovascular duration in each day, but you're not getting the pounding from doing a double run day like you would. Right. You still get that aerobic stimulus. You still get a chance to flush out the legs from a workout in the morning. Um, Yeah, it's a great adjunct to... Um, to any to any running training. So you mentioned that you noticed um, that you could ride many more hours and not feel as tired as compared to running. And that's definitely true. And for cyclists getting into running or for runners getting into cycling, a 30 minute run is typically a lot harder than a 30 minute bike ride. So if you're going to start adding in cycling or adding in cycling to your running program, you might want to increase the duration of your bike rides to match the intended running duration that you had. Like I've found that if I want to do like, let's say I would normally do like a 40 minute easy run as a recovery day to match like that level of energy output, I need to do about an hour easy on the bike. Did you find something similar with your training? Yeah, that's almost the exact, uh, like the exact thing I did, like for a 40, 45 minute easy run, I'd say probably aim for like 60 to 65 minutes, um, maybe up to 70 minutes, but even that felt like a pretty short ride. Like, yeah. And then the, the longer, so replacing the longer runs, that was, that was different. I mean, I would normally, I'd say like, okay, 90 minute long run, be out there for three hours on the bike to get the same kind of aerobic stimulus. Right. Yeah. That was a big difference. Yeah. And like figuring out how to fuel properly for a three hour ride versus a 90 minute run. That And fueling on the bike is a lot easier than fueling on, on the run, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. I had to, <laughs> I did have to practice a lot grabbing for the bottle. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I've perfected it yet. I'm still a little shaky, but I've gotten uh-huh. a few successful grabs. But um, <laughs> besides that, I mean, you have the pockets in the back of the bike shirt, um, yep. which is so much easier to grab for than the gels, like, or find places to store the gels. Right. Yeah. Yeah, cyclists definitely have uh, food storage figured out way better than us runners do. (laughs) So I think, so for our listeners who maybe are interested in getting started riding, how do you get started? Like, biking can be so intimidating in terms of, well, what kind of bike should I get and where should I ride and where should I get my bike? Should I get it from... Walmart or Target? Should I buy it online? Should I buy it on Facebook Marketplace? And, you know, it's important that your equipment is safe and built well, because unlike if you get a defective running shoe, it's probably not going to cause you to have a horrible fall where you could potentially get very injured. But if you get a bike that isn't put together properly, or if you get a used bike and don't have it checked out, you could potentially have a pretty serious crash. So I do bike fitting at a bike shop here in Connecticut called Class Cycles. And when somebody comes in and is buying a new bike for the first time, one of the first things that we ask them is, well, where do you want to ride? Because that really helps to dictate what kind of bike they're going to get. And so like when you started riding, Megan, you were going to get a, you were riding mainly on the roads, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And you got a hybrid bike initially and a hybrid bike has flat handlebars and slightly wider tires. They usually have a little bit of knobs on them or tread so that if you took it on like a dirt rail trail or something, you would still have some traction, but it's definitely not a mountain bike. 
Is that pretty yeah. much what you got? Yeah. Correct, yeah. And those bikes are great for starting out. The position is a little more upright. A lot of people are concerned about, oh, I don't know if I want to be that bent forward on a road bike. So a hybrid is a nice place to start if you're not sure what type of riding you want to do or if you think you're going to be doing some riding on pavement and some riding on dirt and don't want to spend a whole lot of money. You can get a decent hybrid bike for between like 600 to 800 dollars. Anything under like the $500 range, you're definitely going to be sacrificing quality in terms of like your brakes, your shifting, things might that bike might only last you for a year. Um, if you go up to that like 600 to 800 range, you're going to be getting more quality components. So the f- first ask yourself the question, well, where do I want to ride? If it's pavement, then you could look at a road bike. You could look at a hybrid bike with slightly narrower tires. If you think, oh, I've got all these great trails around me. I really want a mountain bike. Well, then you can look at maybe getting a hardtail mountain bike, which is the type of mountain bike that only has suspension in the front. The full suspension mountain bikes tend are more expensive. They're for more technical riding. So if you're just starting out mountain biking and the terrain where you live isn't super technical, then a hardtail is a nice place to start in terms of price and just getting familiar with that type of riding. So... You went from a hybrid bike to a road bike, right, Megan? Correct. And you got a a very nice road bike, like a yes. really good, like, oh, it's look at it that. Is, that's right behind you. Right here. Excuse the uh, beautiful. Christmas presents. There he is. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you named your bike, didn't I did. you? I named it Armando because yeah. it's, it's called, um, <laughs> so it's a Trek Amanda ALR5. I always mix mm-hmm. up the ALR and the SR. Um, yeah. ALR5. So I was like, Amanda, Armando, that works. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so what did you notice in terms of the difference in like ride quality between your hybrid and your Amanda? So the hybrid, getting on it right away, I was comfortable. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. similar to like just, um, I, I want to say like a cruiser kind of bike, not like similar, but it's easier to get used to. Then when I started, yeah. when I went to switch over to uh, the road bike, I had never been on a bike that for one had clip pedals and two had the drop handlebars. So mm-hmm. being that far bent forward and then also like, um, sort you're in more of like a hip flex position. Yeah. That was an awkward feeling at first, like test riding mm-hmm. the first couple I was a little bit nervous, like going out onto the roads. It's like, I don't know if I can stop this. I don't know how to use, like the gears were a little bit different going back and forth from the hybrid to uh, this bike. I don't know if it was just, it's just different, um, uh, like different makes or models, but, um, getting used to the positioning and the clips was very difficult. And <laughs> also it's just reminding me the tires being a lot more narrow, it, felt at first a little bit harder to balance. Like you could feel like, okay, if you're moving a lot side to side, like you have to engage your core to keep yourself stable. Like mm-hmm. I felt like that was a little bit more apparent on the road bike versus um, on the hybrid, like any small motion, like of like in the trunk, upper extremities, anything you could feel it in the wheel. Right. Yeah. And you know, you're so in tune with your body, you figured it out really quickly that it's actually your core that controls the bike, not your arms. So people think, well, your arms are what steer the bike, but they're not. It's actually your core and your hips that steer the bike. So if you're stable there, the bike is going to feel very stable. But if you're trying to make little adjustments with your arms on the handlebars, then you're going to feel like the front end's all over the place. Oh, yeah. There's... um where I got the, um, the road bike, they actually, they went through like a little bit of, um, instruction. I want to say like going from the, uh, hybrid bike to the road bike. And like, uh, they told us like, okay, it's very important that you like, if you're at like a stoplight to position yourself, make sure that you're using your core bend and hinge forward at the hips and like work from there. 
I love it. That sounds like a very good bike shop. Yeah. Oh, and then um, they also mentioned like on turns, like similar to what you were saying, don't actually like this. This took me a little bit of time to get used to, but don't turn the wheel like the front. Mm-hmm. You actually just like weight shift over to the right or weight shift to the left. And that was that took some getting used to also. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not turning the handlebars. You're if you're turning to the right, you're pushing down through your left foot and leaning the bike rather than turning the bars, which is just going to make you crash. Yeah. It sounds silly, yes. like learning how to turn, but yeah. it, it took some practice. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the thing about cycling that can be frustrating for people is there's so much to learn in terms of skill. And there used to be a bigger club culture in cycling where, like, if you were new to riding, there were a ton of cycling clubs that would kind of take you under your wi- under their wing and teach you how to turn and how to brake and how to ride close to each other. But that's it's not as prevalent now, which is unfortunate because people learning those skills is very important, both for your individual safety, but also for the safety of the people you're riding with. Yeah. So um, I think that gets to a good point, Megan, about like the bike shop teaching you all those things. I can't emphasize enough how great a resource a local bike shop is. They can teach you so much. I mean, when even simple things like how to put air in your tires or how to change a flat tire or give you suggestions about like where some good places are to ride. A lot of bike shops have group rides that you can join and meet other cyclists that are about your speed. Um, Did you find any other resources at your local shop that were helpful for you? Um. Well, I ended up asking you most of my questions, um, but it, we did find a few local shops and we have, we've been going back and forth to one, like just for little adjustments. Um, my boyfriend also rides, so he's been getting, that's his bike back there. Um, very nice. so he's been going there, but, um, it's so important. I mean, as somebody that's very new to the sport, there are so many different factors to consider when choosing a bike and there are so many different things that you can change on the bike to make yourself more efficient after you get the right. bike, like the tires, the handlebars, the gears, like there's just like, my mind was blown hearing all the different factors that go into like picking a bike and like keeping it like rideable, I want to say, <laughs> or making it more efficient. Yeah. And, yeah. There's a lot more maintenance to be done for like, sure. I was shocked you had to buy separate pedals for the like to, right. to clip in that <laughs> I mean something small but <laughs> I was like wait the bike doesn't come with pedals <laughs> I, I think every new cyclist is surprised at that <laughs> I remember when I got my first road bike you know you've got your budget right and you think okay I have this much money to spend and I'm gonna get the best bike that I can and then you get to the bike shop and you realize that not only do you have to buy the bike but you need to buy pedals and a helmet and shoes and a pump if you don't have one and maybe some lights for your bike to help you be more visible a kit so you can change a flat so that is something if you're planning on buying a bike to take that into consideration it's not just buying the bike you're going to need to buy some accessories that are important either one to let you actually ride the bike in the case of pedals or two for safety like helmet, lights, uh, being able to change your own flat, that sort of thing. Um, some, actually, most hybrids do come with pedals. Like your hybrid probably came with yeah. flat pedals, right? But when you get into the higher-end road or mountain bikes, that's where they're not going to come with pedals because there are several different pedal systems. And it would kind of stink to buy a bike that comes with pedals but aren't the kind of pedals that you personally use. So that's why those nicer bikes just come without pedals so you can choose the brand that you want. So uh, what did you think about clipping in, Megan? Did you find (laughs) that to be hard to learn or did you pick it up pretty quickly? I was surprised. I did pick it up pretty quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. when I first, um, when I got the bike, they let me practice on one of like, uh, what do you call it? Like they locked me into like basically, um, a trainer so I could practice clipping in, clipping out. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And I got it pretty quickly. And then the next day when I took the bike out, I was like, okay, I have to get this. So I clipped in. The clipping in went mm. pretty well. It was more of like, I felt like it was just like a, like a, you just have to like spin your ankle in quickly and it'll lock in. It almost felt like a magnet to me. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you're in. But then yep. it was about, we were going to ride toward like a neighborhood so I could practice clipping out. And it's about a mile and a half, two miles away to get somewhere that there's like a pretty decent shoulder to practice. So if I fell, like I'd fall and be okay. Um, yes. And we finally got there and it was, I was going to go to unclip and nothing happened. <laughs> I, my foot, di- I didn't come out oh. and I stopped moving and it, I couldn't unclip. So I slowly just kind of tilted to the side and ended up down. I didn't get hurt or anything, but I was like, that had to have been hilarious for somebody to watch. But that happened, I'd say like the first, like two times I tried to unclip and then I got it, but there were definitely like, um, I think probably for the first like five or six rides, I fell at least once trying to unclip like slow motion Mm -hmm. falls, um, which is just funny. (laughs) And then, and now, now it's pretty easy. It's like, you just, it's, um, like you just, if you just unclip, I guess with like, with purpose, you're going to mm-hmm. unclip, like you just angle yeah. out and, and you're out. Yeah. So I, you bought the Shimano pedals, right? They look like yes. yellow triangles. Yeah. So the Shimano SPDSL, which is what Megan has, is probably the most popular type of road pedal to get because it's the easiest to learn how to clip in and clip out from. The pedals themselves have a little screw on them where you can adjust the tension that makes it easier to clip in and clip out. I don't know if the shop showed you that or not, but that would be something that you could adjust, Megan, to make it a little easier to unclip. So clipping in is basically like pushing down and then forward to clip in, and then unclipping is just turning your heel out and you come out. Uh, The tip that I give people is, let's say you're coming up to a stop sign or a stoplight. Don't wait to unclip until the last possible moment. You can unclip and still coast towards the stoplight as you're braking, and then you just take your foot off the pedal and put it down on the ground. So it's something, like, it's good that you went to a quiet place and practiced and, you know... (laughs) The only people who saw you were probably people on their ring camera. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's funny. Um, But yeah, for like when we're approaching like, um, like any stop signs, stop lights or anything, I unclip so early just in case. Yeah. Just give myself time. Like if I can unclip on the first one or two times, because I am so very, very new to this. Mm-hmm. that I have time to try at least like three or four times. And if I realize I'm not unclipping for whatever reason, I can like kind of try to get out of the way <laughs> and yeah. fall, and fall yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Gives you a bailout for yeah. sure. Um, just so you know, pretty much everybody has an experience of falling over when they're learning to unclip. <laughs> Mine happened to be in front of a group of about 50 people. I was coming up to meet a group ride and, I rolled up and I'm like, hey guys, and I go to stop, can't unclip, and I just fell over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at, least, at least it's in front of a group that understands. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and they all were very understanding for sure. Um, while we're on the subject of clipping in, I just want to show the two types of shoes and pedal systems you can get. So, what Megan has are road shoes. So, and her cleat on the bottom looks like a big triangle. I use a different brand. This brand is called Time, but mine clip in and out pretty similar to hers. So these are what you want if you're focused on like the best pedaling efficiency. The one drawback to having this type of shoe with this large of a cleat is they're a little awkward to walk in. I'm sure you A lot of people have seen cyclists walking in a coffee shop looking like ducks. That's because of this giant cleat in the front of the shoe. So some people really want a shoe that is easier to walk in. So if that is important to you, you want to get basically a mountain bike shoe. So you can see the cleat on the bottom is a lot smaller, and it's recessed in between those treads. 
So you can walk in this shoe just as easily as you could walk in a sneaker. Um, You wouldn't want to do like a lot of running in it, um, but it's comfortable to walk in. The negative to using a shoe and pedal system like this, if you're road riding or doing longer rides, is that because the cleat and the pedal are smaller, the pressure from your foot is spread out over a smaller surface area as compared to the larger cleat and pedal. So if you're just doing like an easy 30-minute to an hour ride a couple times a week, mountain bike shoes and pedals are fine no matter where you're riding. But if you're really getting into like long or hard rides, like doing three or four hours, you're going to be a lot more comfortable with road shoes and pedals because it spreads the pressure out across the ball and like your midfoot. Um, And it will make you a little more efficient because you'll get better power transfer. Have you had any foot issues from your shoes or pedals, Megan? I had a ve- like very little bit of discomfort on the outside of my foot, like right around the fifth med head. And that was mm-hmm. only on the longer rides. So like as I got closer to like two and a half, three hours, I'd start to feel a little bit of a twinge that I could avoid, but I just kind of knew it was there. Um, mm-hmm. So I know you had mentioned there's a way to um, change the positioning of yes. the of the cleat. So that mm-hmm. was something that I was going to do to uh try to resolve that. But that's really yeah. the only discomfort. Um I have heard so on some of our rides, I know uh my boyfriend com- complains about this a little bit. He gets like swelling in his feet, which mm-hmm. I haven't experienced myself, but I know like a f- um at the bike shop they were saying like certain like compression socks or um changing like I guess the tightness of the shoe, like when you, when you, I don't want to say lace, but when you, what's the proper word? (laughs) Well, if you have the boas just dialing down the tension of the boa dials. Yeah. There, there can be a lot of things that cause swelling when you ride. One thing, making sure that you don't tighten the shoes down too much in general, cycling shoes should not be as tight as running shoes. They don't need to fit that snug. Um, but the other thing actually is you can move that cleat forward or backward on the bottom of the shoe. So you're putting that fulcrum closer to the ball of your foot or further away. Now, a lot of triathletes and newer riders tend to position it a little bit further back, which is, can be more comfortable, but it takes your calf muscles out of the equation in terms of pedaling. And there are positives and negatives to that that are much more advanced than, you know, what we're talking about here. But if the cleat is too far back and you're not using your calf muscles as much in the pedal stroke, you're not going to get that calf muscle pump that helps get swelling out of your leg. So he might actually find that if he moved his cleat forward on both sides, let's say maybe start with like two or three millimeters, it would be interesting to see if the swelling in his feet changed. We'll give that a try. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Maybe we, we can do a, a Zoom bike fit for the two yes. of you guys, and I can help you with your cleat issues. Yes, that would be great. Awesome. <laughs> so just to recap, so how to get started. So first of all, think about where do you want to ride? Do you want to ride on pavement? Do you want to ride on dirt? Are you going to mountain bike? Because that will help you decide which type of bike you want. How long do you want to ride? If you're going to be doing longer rides, drop bar bikes like what Megan has, where the handlebars are curved, are way more comfortable than flat bars because they give you more than one position to put your hands. Like on that hybrid, you've only you can only ride with your arms like this, whereas on the drop bars, they're basically three places where you can put your hands and it's nice to be able to move them around and shift the pressure. Um, think about your budget, make sure to look up like what the typical cost is of helmet, pedals, shoes, etc. Decide if you want to clip in or out, clip in or use flat pedals, because that will also be a question that they'll ask you at the bike shop. And then, again, I would really strongly encourage people to go to their local bike shops because the people there will just be able to be such a better resource for you, not only in buying a bike, 
But as you get into cycling, um, I would really caution people on buying used bikes unless you or someone you know is already familiar with bike mechanics and can check out the bike and make sure that it's structurally sound. Um, do you have any other bike buying tips, Megan, that maybe you experienced during your um, purchases? I'd say do your research too. Mm-hmm. Like obviously find somebody that you trust, ask as many questions, do the research and ask questions when you're in there too. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you like me really didn't know what you were getting into with the sport, really ask every question, no matter how silly it may yes. seem. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many questions when it comes to bikes. And when you're new, it can seem like you're just asking a bunch of dumb questions. You're not. There's just so much to know when it comes to riding a bike. And people who work at bike shops or your friends who are cyclists, they've all been through this themselves. I tell people all the time, no one's born knowing how to ride a bike. No one's born knowing all the differences between different pedal systems and different bike types. So everyone has to learn this at some point. And the people who have the knowledge are happy to share that knowledge with people who are getting into the sport. You know, it's fun spreading the bike love and helping somebody fall in love with a new sport. And for us runners, cycling is really a really nice adjunct to what we love to do, for sure. Um, so let's say you've gone to your local bike shop, you got a bike. Well, now what should you do? Where are you going to ride? So there are a few, well, there are tons of websites that can kind of help you figure out where to ride, but the best places that I use, um, if you're going to be riding on the road and you have a paid Strava account, Strava has heat maps of you can look where you live or near where you work and it'll show you where people ride the most. So it can help you plan out routes that you know other people ride on. It'll keep you off the dangerous roads where no cyclists ride because they know, oh, traffic's too bad or there's no shoulder. Um, There's also a website called Ride with GPS where people upload their rides and you can search by your zip code or your town Um, and you can even download people's routes and put them in your phone or your Garmin if you've got one. For mountain biking, a really good resource is called Trail Forks. It shows you all of the local trail systems and it rates the difficulty, kind of like going to a ski mountain. That way you don't go to a place that's all black diamonds on your first try. (laughs) Uh, If you want to ride dirt roads, there's this really cool website called Gravel Map that will show you which roads in your area are dirt. And gravel or dirt riding is a lot of fun. Typically, there's not a lot of cars on those roads because they're usually more rural or lower speed limit. Um, Have you been on any dirt roads near where you live, Megan? I have, accidentally. Um, (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, I'm a very rural area and I just made a loop on, um, on map, my run Strava, just go out. And I remember the one ride I was new on the road bike and it's a pretty like steep downhill and the paved road turned to a gravel road. And I was like, Oh, Oh, like it it was very rocky. It was almost like being on like a towpath. And I was going Uh for me, I felt like I was moving pretty fast. I was like, okay, just don't fall. Don't fall. Keep your core tight. Don't fall. Don't fall. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but that's a very helpful tip to look at that site before, like if you make a route to make sure that you're going to be on the uh, desired kind of terrain. Yes. Yeah. And gravel map can also help you avoid roads. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do that route again. No. <laughs> yeah. And if a lot of areas have dirt roads and depending on like some dirt roads are just dirt with no rocks. And those roads, as long as they aren't full of holes, you should be able to ride on those with a road bike, no problem. But if your dirt roads have a lot of gravel, you're going to have trouble riding on that with skinny, smooth tires. So know your area and, you know, check out Gravel Map or Strava ahead of time to see what's what. Um, And you can always just drive a route before you do it to check it out as well. Or ask the bike shop, hey, 
is this road gravel? Um, more than likely someone there will know. Um, another really good resource is a lot of local bike shops on their websites will put links to routes that they do. So that's another really nice place to look to get routes to get started with. Um, have you found anything else that's been helpful for you in planning out rides or trying new places um, to ride? I've also tried, uh, Garmin has a feature that if you just put in like your designated or <clears throat> your the distance that you want to go and the general direction. So like North, South, East or West, it kind of generates um, a loop um, that I, I've used that a few times to make loops. But the main thing I've used is Strava, the heat maps, just mm-hmm. knowing that other people have ridden here. They ride here regularly. It's safe. Um, it avoids major roads or highways or anything like that. I have had some um routes that Garmin has generated that I'm like, I know I'm not going to ride that, but I usually double check it on Strava. (laughs) Yeah. 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 The Strava heat maps are really useful. Um, I was involved with a multi-day ride from Connecticut to Washington, DC, and my husband made the routes that we took and we didn't know the roads in half of the places we went, but we just used Strava heat maps to help us figure out the best way to go. So Yeah, Strava did a really good job with that program, so I would highly recommend it. So now you've got your bike, and now you know where to ride. So let's talk about training. So Megan, you and I are both coaches. So if you were advising one of your athletes on, okay, you're you're riding a bike for cross-training. They're not injured. They just want to add in a little bit of cycling for some variety and cross-training. What would you recommend to your athlete to do on a weekly basis? So I would say for one, if they're just doing it as an easy ride, um, just to kind of supplement running, um, use heart rate data. And also like, and I, I would also say use like an RPE scale, like rating from zero to 10 and with 10 being the hardest thing, zero being not working at all and try to keep on that scale around the same as you would for like an easy run. Um, in terms of heart rate, I think you actually gave me this uh, this useful uh, tip, but try to keep it or like 10 beats per minute below what your normal easy run uh, heart rate would be. So like say you go out, you're usually 140 for um, an easy run, try to keep it around like one, I'd say 130 or, or even under for an easy ride. And to remember like your heart rate's going to be lower because because of the activity. Um, for if they're going out and doing like a harder effort, I'd say use the, like an RPE scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the tricky thing with cycling is unless you're doing, unless you're riding on a steady hill or on a dead flat road, the undulations in the terrain are going to make it hard to maintain a given effort level, particularly if you live in like a rolling area where you're always either going up or going downhill. And that's what makes it challenging to maintain your heart rate because when you go downhill, unless you make sure to throw it in a really hard gear as soon as you get to the top of the hill, your heart rate's going to go down because your effort level goes down. So one tip that I would give people is when you're riding, you want to try to minimize coasting if your goal is to get a workout in. So try to, and I like that you mentioned using RPE because you think about like you're going up a hill at let's say an RPE of five, go down the hill at an RPE of five. Don't go down it at an RPE of one because now you stopped pedaling and you're just coasting down. That's where your heart rate's going to drop and that's what will make your ride much less intense than a comparable duration run. It's almost like a recovery between intervals and in a running workout. Like if you just coast down the the hill, then your heart rate's going to come down. You're going to start recovering. And then you go again, you turn it more into like a mini um, interval workout. Exactly. Which that works great if you're doing hill repeats, but if you're just going out for a like easy ride, you don't need that those recovery periods. It's just it's making your workout easier than intended. And another thing that I just got actually installed on my bike that I haven't had a chance to try out yet outside um, is um, the uh, on the crank a power meter. 
to oh, see. Awesome. I haven't tried it yet. It I just got mm. it back like uh, a week and a half ago or so, but mm. I was doing a lot of research and I live in a very like, uh, there's a lot of rolling hills around me. It's never really flat. So yeah. I really didn't know for the easy rides or um, uh, the easy rides or for like the workouts, if I was getting like the desired intensity. So mm-hmm. using, I had like heard from other people that using wattage to determine like consistency of your effort is a good idea, like um, to make sure that you're hitting what you want on the bike. Absolutely. Yeah. When it power is the gold standard for measuring effort on a bike, the reason being heart rate, whether you're on a bike or running, can be influenced by so many factors. If it's hot, if you're dehydrated, if you just took a caffeinated gel, if you're sick. So power just measures how much torque you're putting into the bike. The power meter can be located at the crank, like what Megan got. It can be located in the pedal spindle. It can be located in the um, the hub of the rear wheel. Um, so regardless of where the power meter is located, it's measuring the force that you're putting into the bike. And that force is not influenced by any of those things. It doesn't matter if you're dehydrated or tired or sick. Force is force. Now, it might feel harder if you're dehydrated or sick, but it's a number that's not directly influenced by it. So whereas when you're training with heart rate, you know you know your max heart rate, you might know your threshold heart rate. There are different formulas to set up your heart rate zones. Power zones are based on a number called your functional threshold power, which is essentially the theoretical highest power you could average for an hour. Some formulas use your highest 20-minute power because that's easier to test, and then they extrapolate to what your theoretical max average power would be. And then you set up your training zones accordingly. Anyone who is serious about their training on a bike should get a power meter because, as you've found, Megan, heart rate just isn't a great way to measure it, is it? Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> no. And power keeps you honest, um, especially on downhills, and it it teaches you to measure your effort better. I wish that running had a way to measure power like we do on the bike. I know that uh, Stride is out there, and there are a couple other you know, more prototype running power meters, but they don't directly measure force the way that bike power meters do. So I'm hopeful that someday us runners will have something more objective to measure our efforts with as well. Um, So for injured runners, so when you were hurt, you you still did intervals on the bike, right? Yep. So how did you determine how long your intervals were going to be? How did you pace your intervals? Did you do them on hills? Did you try to find a flat road? What did you find worked best for you? So I did a lot of, a lot of the workouts I ended up doing that were pretty similar to what I would do for like a running workout, like say a fartlek. I would, I just kind of either extended the duration of the interval or, um, added more intervals on just to get like Mm -hmm. the work in. Um, let's see, I did, I usually, I would just do like whatever loops I had around here that I knew were pretty safe. So I didn't have to worry about like cars. Like I know, I know now like what roads to avoid and all that, but, um, but yeah, it would be, I did a few hill workouts because I think that's a great way to get, um, the heart rate up and make sure that you're Mm -hmm. getting that effort in. Um, but a lot of interval workouts. And then I started adding in, um, like as I got more into it, more like tempo type efforts, I want to say, or like threshold, um, where I would just try to maintain like, uh, like a seven to eight out of 10 for on like the RPE scale that I was using, um, for 10 to 15 minutes at a time. And then like two, two to three minutes easy and then go again for 10 to 15 minutes just to try to get the similar stimulus that you would get, say, from like running a tempo type of Mm -hmm. workout. But I was doing a similar, very similar schedule to what I do normally in running training. So like two harder days a week, one long ride, 
and then a few easy days sprinkled in there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what I would do or have a athlete do if I was having them do workouts on the bike to substitute for running. Um, like I said earlier, it's easier to maintain your effort if you find a moderate hill. Like you don't want a stair-stepping hill because then it's hard to maintain that level of effort. So like something in like the 5 to 8% range is good for average gradient. Or if you live somewhere very flat, just go out, put it in a gear, and try to keep your cadence the same for, you know, however long your interval is. It's hardest to maintain your effort level if you're on a rolling course, like where Megan and I live. Uh, (laughs) So sometimes you do have to kind of find, like, okay, this is my interval hill. This is my, like longer interval, like flattish road. And then also just give yourself a little bit of wiggle room and know that it's not going to be perfect. Just like running intervals are never perfect. You're not, if your goal is 630 pace, you're never going to be exactly 630 for every rep. And that's okay. It's better to learn how to listen to your body and measure your effort. So same thing on the bike. Learn how to measure your effort and listen to your body. So uh, I also wanted to talk about some important tips for beginners because, like I said, there's so much knowledge that, you know, no one's born with. And some things are, like, kind of embarrassing to ask about. So here are some of my best tips on what you should do if you're if you're new to cycling. And then Megan can uh, give some of hers, too. So the number one most important thing is if you're going to ride a bike, you've got to wear padded shorts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> most important. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't matter if you feel like you're wearing a diaper or if you think you look dumb. Everyone who rides a bike seriously wears padded shorts and they will literally save your butt. So wear them. And the other thing to know is when you wear padded shorts, you don't wear underwear with them. And the reason for that is the seams in your underwear will create friction and can cause essentially blisters or sores where you definitely do not want them. So don't be like me who had to have her male riding partners say, hey, you're not supposed to wear underwear with your shorts. Um, I'm sharing that with all of you so you don't have to be embarrassed. Um, The other thing to know about shorts is there are two kinds. You know, one is just normal shorts. They look like kind of like spandex running shorts. But there's another kind of short that is so much more comfortable, and it's called a bib short. It essentially looks like spandex shorts with suspenders. And the reason those are better is there's no waistband. So you don't have anything constricting your abdomen or your breathing. I actually wish that we had something like that for running because I think that would be much more comfortable. (laughs) Do you use bib shorts, Megan? I haven't tried. I haven't tried them yet, but I would like to. (laughs) Yes, they're great. You'll never go back once you uh, experience not having a waistband while you're exercising. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing with regards to shorts is, so there's that pad on the inside of the short. It's called a chamois. You can buy chamois cream that's basically like body glide, but made for the pad. I highly recommend using that because, again, it just reduces friction down there. Most chamois creams have antibacterial stuff in it. Again, to reduce the risk of anything getting infected if you do get like a little bit of friction. So wear padded shorts, bib shorts are best, and definitely use chamois cream. Um, Any tips from you, Megan, in terms of uh, clothing or what you've found to be helpful? Um, So all of those, for sure, I'd say the padded shorts, number one. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, like get, um, get a biking shirt or jersey. That's specifically for biking for the first like month or so. I was just kind of riding in like a regular like tank top that I would run in. And there's obviously nowhere to really store anything. Or if anything happens, you have nothing to really fix anything. Like if you got a flat. Um, so definitely invest in the right gear, I'd say. 
I think that pretty much sums that up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. Having those pockets is key. Um, You can also get like a little bag that goes underneath your saddle that can hold like a spare tube, levers to change a flat, um, a mini pump to inflate the tire if you get a flat. Definitely either learn how to change a flat or have a plan if you get a flat and you don't know how to change it. So whether that's your spouse or your friend who will come and rescue you. Um, If you have AAA, AAA will actually rescue you if you're on your bike. I think you get two bike rescues a year with AAA membership. I did not know that. good for everyone (laughs) to know. Um, But changing a flat tire is not hard. And most bike shops are happy to show people. A lot of bike shops have clinics in the winter where they teach you like basic maintenance There's also really great YouTube channels that will teach you all this basic stuff. A really good one is Global Cycling Network. Um, They make all of their videos pretty entertaining, too. Park Tool also has some drier videos that teach you all sorts of bike maintenance stuff, so you can check those out as well. I thought of one more thing in terms of, like, uh, gear. A good pair of sunglasses. Like, whether they be actually tinted or just, like, regular glasses, anything to protect your eyes from, well, for one, from the wind, so they don't dry out. Um, Anything that may come flying up if cars go by, uh, bugs. Yep. (laughs) Rocks. (laughs) Rocks, yes. Yeah, and sunglasses are, like, non-negotiable when you're riding. Like, it's not like when you're running where if it's cloudy out, you can forget them. You really need to have eye protection every ride. And most cycling sunglasses have interchangeable lenses, so you can put, like, clear ones in if it's cloudy or raining, or ones that aren't as darkly tinted if you prefer not having it so dark on an overcast day. But yeah, Megan's absolutely right. Sunglasses for every ride are key. Um, Another thing that's really important to do every ride is pumping up your tires, They're not like car tires where you pump them up a few times a year. Bike tires will lose 5 PSI overnight, and that can quickly create a situation where you're going to be more likely to get a flat tire if you hit a bump or run over a rock or something. So when you buy your bike, you should also get a floor pump that makes it easy to pump up your tires. Most higher-end bikes do not have the same type of valves as cars, so you can't just plan on using, like, your air compressor to pump up your bike tires. So make sure that you have a pump that works with the type of valve that your bike came with. Um, In terms of clothing, Megan, did you notice any uh, differences in dressing for certain temperatures on the bike or running? Yes. Um... If so, it's always colder on the bike. For one, you have more, you're creating wind, so it's going to be colder there. But I'd say it it felt like 10, 15, maybe even 20 degrees colder on the bike sometimes. So this is just like a guess on how I felt. But like as the summer kind of ended and we started seeing some more fall weather, I noticed like even if you walk outside and you're like, oh, it's kind of nice out, you should have like a long sleeve on and you should also have gloves on. Because your hands very quickly will start to get numb if if it's remotely cold at all, or if if there's any wind, cold, anything, you should definitely have a good pair of gloves. It's going to keep your hands warm. Yes, for sure. Yeah, my rule of thumb is if it's below sixty, you need to have something covering your knees, and if it's below fifty, you need to have like full leg coverage. And I tend to put on long finger gloves. When it's like 50 or 55 or below, it depends how windy it is. But like with running, you'll learn what temperature and wind conditions dictate which clothing. But on the bike, it's almost better to overdress and then be able to like take a pair of long finger gloves off than to head out and freeze. Yeah, there was one ride that I had to turn around that because my hand started going numb. I was like, I mean, you need that to break. You need yes. them to switch gears. 
pretty much everything. So I ended up turning back and grabbing a pair of gloves, but yeah, it's no joke when it's cold. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. It's, you know, if you're running and your hands are cold, you're not going to crash and hurt yourself because of it. But if you're biking and your hands get too cold, it can affect your ability to squeeze the brakes sufficiently. So again, just another reason not to mess around with underdressing. Yeah. How about fueling? Um, We talked about that a little bit before. So, you know, if you're a runner who's maybe only done like a max distance run of like two or three hours, and now you've fallen in love with the bike and you decide you're going to go do your first hundred mile ride, you need to bring a lot of food in your pockets or you need to bring a credit card to stop at the gas station several times to get enough food. So did you find that like what you needed to eat on the bike was different as compared to what you would do running, Megan? I think here I still need some practice to perfect that Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, It was a little bit, I, I definitely brought more with me on the bike, like for like the longest I rode was three hours. So I still kind of stayed like, true to what I did for running. So like every Mm -hmm. like 40, 45 minutes, I would take something in. Um, but I would bring like, instead of like the differences where for running, I would use like just noon or something, which doesn't really have that much. It's just mostly just electrolytes. Whereas on the bike, I would bring like scratch, a gel, uh, sometimes a bar. Um, Mm -hmm. like for the longer rides, I'd bring a bar just in case I'd have it like at least half of it halfway. Um, but it's definitely different but it's also nice that you can bring more with you. Yes. And I also find it's easier to eat real food when you're riding. Like I would never eat a cliff bar during a run, but I've eaten many cliff bars during a ride and I've eaten, you know, pizza during a ride and (laughs) many like real food items that you can digest because you're not getting the jostling on the bike that you do when you're running. So it's actually kind of nice fueling on the bike because you're not limited to like the gel that your stomach can tolerate. You can actually eat like food that tastes good and that you're looking forward to eating. Yeah, I know a lot of people that I've talked to use peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't done that yet, but I look forward to doing a ride long enough that I'll get to bring one with me. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Um, There's a great book that's good for whether you're running or cycling, but it's called um, The Feed Zone Cookbook. Alan Lim wrote it. He was the uh, head exercise physiologist and nutritionist for the Garmin pro cycling team. But the book is full of stuff that you can make and pack like in your pocket when you're riding. But a lot of the food is like digestible enough that you could eat during a run too, if you had like a little like fanny pack or a pocket to store it. Um, so, cause sometimes you're just tired of eating gels and you want real food. So I really like that book. He's got some really nice recipes in there. Um, my, one of the most important things in my opinion that a new cyclist can do, and it's not just because I am a bike fitter is to get a bike fit especially if you're clipping in. The reason why a minor adjustment to your saddle position or your cleat position, where your handlebars are, how wide your handlebars are, that can be the difference between you being comfortable and efficient on the bike and you getting an overuse injury. So like Megan has been able to set up her position because she's a PT and she's really in tune with her body Um, but you know, she's still having some issues like with her cleat position and fixing that is probably going to be moving her cleat like two millimeters, but it's about moving it two millimeters in the right direction. So most bike shops have someone who does bike fitting in terms of like their level of knowledge. It can really vary. Like it's kind of rare to have a PT in a bike shop, but I am one and there are many others across the country. So look up physical therapy and bike fitting. 
Um, there's several websites that kind of act as clearinghouses for PTs who do bike fits. So I would highly recommend looking for somebody with more advanced knowledge to get a fit from. But it can just help so much to have someone really dial in your fit for your body. Because there's no one ideal biking position. It's what is the right position for your flexibility, for your level of core strength, for the type of riding you're doing. And that person can just figure that all out with your input. And then you can start out cycling and hopefully not run into the pitfalls that a lot of people do where, oh, I bought this bike, but every time I ride it, my neck hurts. Or every time I ride, my knees hurt. You can say, oh, I got a bike fit and I feel awesome on the bike and now I'm stealing my friends, you know, king of the mountains on Strava. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole point, right? Of course, Becca? of course. <laughs> Do you have any other tips for people who might be interested in getting into writing? There's so much information. Like, just take it all in, have an open mind and just... I don't know. Enjoy it. It's so, I found it to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a good point. Take it all in. And there's so many ways to enjoy cycling. You don't have to turn into a road rider who does hundred mile rides and, you know, you can enjoy it however you want. There's nothing wrong with having a hybrid bike and riding 10 miles on the rail trail. You can, whatever way that you enjoy cycling, that, then that's the one that's right for you. So don't let someone at a bike shop try to convince you that you need this or that if that's not really what you're interested in doing. Do what you enjoy. Just make sure that you're safe doing it, you've got the right equipment, um, you've got the right technical knowledge so you can get yourself out of bind if you've got a flat. But yeah, cycling is awesome and there's so many ways to do it. Um, so if you have any questions about all of this, leave us a comment on YouTube or send us an email. Um, it really helps us if you leave us a review on the podcast, and you can do that on the podcast site or on YouTube. Um, I hope that you all have found this informative, and we're happy to help you out if you have any other cycling or running questions in the future. Thank you.